0: Welcome to the University of Pittsburgh's Health and Explainable AI podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Gosporé, a health and science reporter. Join me as we cover advancements being made in health informatics and explainable AI for students, researchers, and healthcare practitioners interested in applications of artificial intelligence and machine learning. This podcast is produced by the University of Pittsburgh's Health and Explainable AI Research Laboratory at the University of Pittsburgh School of Health and Rehabilitation Sciences Department of Health Information Management. Headed by Ahmed Tafti, Pitt's HEXAI Lab cultivates extramural collaborations with academic institutions both nationally and internationally through its research, educational contributions, and this podcast series. Hello, and welcome back to Pit Hex AI, a podcast series produced by the University of Pittsburgh's Health and Explainable AI Research Laboratory. I'm Jordan Gaspore, your host, and today we're going to speak with Natalia Diaz-Rodriguez, who's a professor specializing in trustworthy AI and responsible AI systems at the University of Granada, Spain, and a researcher with the Data Science Institute, specializing in data science and artificial intelligence. Welcome, Natalia. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Hello, the pleasure is mine. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So looking through about all of your interests and your research and your work, it, it all seems very quite amazing and very much over my head as a journalist by trade. So I'd really like to just dive in and be able to get to know you a little bit better. You know, taking a step back a little bit about our podcast, if you're not familiar with it, that our research lab is particularly interested in explainable AI. And we're excited to have you on the show to talk about your work. If you would, please, uh, you know, want to get a little bit of introduction about who you are and the kind of work that you do, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, sure. I am a professor at the University of Granada in Andalusia, Spain, it's, it's, it's particularly in the Data Science and Computational Intelligence, mm-hmm. Andalusian Institute of AI. And um, I came back two years ago after being a professor in Paris at the Institut Polytechnique. I've been also living. I did my PhD in Finland in Google or fashion AI and I also ontologies semantic web and then I also was in the US in Silicon Valley working both in industry and in academia and uh, several other places all over the world and um, I finally came back to my to my roots where I've been now for 2 years so I'm specializing as you said on trustworthy AI and uh, explainable AI in order to to comply with all uh, upcoming regulation that is never uh, always changing. And uh, we need to adapt as fast as techniques change in order to, to comply with it. So yeah, that's what uh, takes my sleep nowadays.
0: Well, what got you interested to begin with in artificial intelligence?
1: Well, I guess I I didn't get uh, a computer quite early. I got it when I was only already like 14 years old, and my internet perhaps came at 17. So, therefore, studying computer engineering was for me like the window that that was most open to learning about the unknown, and uh, and for me that felt exciting. So, and um, I felt curiosity to learn more. And then the more I learned about AI, the more I thought that you could do cool stuff that never exists and automate things and uh, and learn to become better. So the more I learn about it, the more I,
0: I thought that AI was uh, my thing. Well, I'm curious too that like, you know, whenever I talk about artificial intelligence, for instance, like with my family or friends that aren't really into it, they always ask me about like, I guess their go-to is things from pop culture or they're like, oh, Skynet from Terminator and things like that. I'm curious what, Common questions from your friends and family that aren't involved in artificial intelligence, like what do they ask you about it? What do they think AI actually is, and and what you know, what sort of your response is? Because I always have to tell them, Skynet is not the AI that that I I'm focused on or my research is focused on.
1: Yeah, I guess we are all a bit tired of these questions. <laughs> so my friends and family often say. I'm really seriously getting scared about AI, eh? when I say that I work on AI. I said, don't be, it's just a tool we can use properly or not, it's like a knife. <laughs> and uh, of course, um, you don't have to be scared as I have been years trying to teach a robot to push button, it was so hard, believe me, that we are not really close to, to Skynet. So that's what I tell because I've suffered, it, so I'm not scared at all. And of course, the only thing we need to do is teaching everyone so that we can all know how it works, what can we expect, and um, and not uh, build uh, false expectations, because only that way we will be able to be in shape to face the, the risks that it, it can pose, of course.
0: No, for sure. For sure. In talking through about terminology in your work, So some of our listeners, you know, might not be as familiar with some of these terms. So I'd love it if you could explain what they are. For instance, neural symbolic approaches to practical applications of AI. What does that that mean for you and your work?
1: Yeah. So if you see all the latest AI techniques, they are mostly built in terms of black boxes, uh, layers and layers of uh, linear equations, complicated functions that at the end are really impossible for us to interpret what each parameter means but at the end big data they work right they figure out the way to produce the the output we want it to produce so however there is sometimes that these models they are so big that we cannot really control what path they take and they take some shortcuts and they end up suffering some pitfalls right so Neural Symbolic Approaches to to AI tries to overcome this gap by having, let's say, more interpretable, old-fashioned AI techniques that are more interpretable, and less complex, let's say, rule-based systems, ontologies, linear models, other more interpretable models, in order to embed, somehow, background domain knowledge into the system or to correct it or constrain the the black box so the idea is not to get rid of the black box because of course they are powerful they, pe- they are performant, and they achieve the best uh, the best performance yet yeah? but uh, we want to be able to debug them and to have some kind of actionable insight so for me having a background in more symbolic approaches to ai adding the neural component of artificial neural networks that have the capacity to learn on large amounts of data is kind of the the way to go because um, one cannot give us all. So we need to get the best of both worlds in order to somehow see that the model ends up doing what we expect it to do. Of course, if we imitate the human brain, we know so little that it's hard. So at the end, we need some ways of kind of debugging or having some actionable explanations that can be somehow explain or better debug or to correct the system and all these neural symbolic approaches take these two approaches and somehow try to combine it in some ways or others so this is one of the examples i propose for instance one with my colleagues one way to do this is trying to align the explanations of the black box model with the explanations of the domain expert this is what we call the explainable neural symbolic learning methodology, or XNIL, or the gray box explainable AI. To try to have a bit of both worlds and try to to see if um, if we get what we will expect. Sometimes it's not the case, and it still might be correct. So we need to be very careful for what the the model is actually learning. It might be something that is not causal; it's just correlational. So we need to really look for this and um, we have some applications we have worked with like in for instance trying to predict uh, with some psychiatrists some colleagues in poland to predict the bipolar or depression disorder with just audio signals or we try to explain and align these explanations with experts and another application not in the health domain but also compositional approach to be able to better explain when we recognize an object by its parts. So we want if if a network classifies this uh, facade of a building as an um, Muslim style, we want that the parts it detects also belong to the Muslim Muslim architecture component. So these are just some examples that try to break down a bit how we think when we explain why something is classified is classified as such. All
0: right. So I recently saw that you wrote about, Natalia, explainable AI taxonomies, and I'd love to learn more, one, about what explainable AI taxonomies are, and that, you know, are explainable taxonomies um, something that we need more of today to improve explainable AI? Do you think that they're useful? Yes,
1: definitely. This, uh, if you see your most successful article with near 5,000, over 5,000 citations, proposes Not one, several taxonomies. It tries to clarify all the concepts and different opportunities and challenges that the explainable AI is facing towards achieving responsible AI systems. In fact, I think it has been very successful because we break down not one, but several ways of seeing the explainable AI domain or or landscape of uh, tools and techniques. It's not easy. It took us a while to try to agree on this taxonomy because some techniques of course can be classified in two or three ways and it's not unique either there are the, the research community sometimes doesn't agree on these terms explainability interpretability and sometimes they speak um, interchangeably others make distinctions so at least if you hear both and you want to to have nuanced concept we we think we did a good job trying to to break down a bit these nuanced terms and the taxonomies for sure help trying to discriminate how to approach the field since the field is growing at at a too fast pace and it's hard to catch up for a new newcomer and even for for people working in the field it's hard to catch up with so much avalanche of papers and uh, so yes definitely we need more and ideally we will need agreement too but sometimes <laughs> the second is not so easy.
0: What would it take to get agreement?
1: Perhaps there is the lack of standards. There are some standards starting to come out. NIST has done a proposal very, very recently. And uh, in Transport AI, there are taxonomies also just coming up. Uh, Very interesting, trying to link um, some indicators to some principles and and some standards, and and the thing is that even standard, there are several that are being built up and there's not a unique one. So, I think the challenge is designing the systems with these standards in mind, which is something we are not used to, but we really need to change the the chip, as we say, and and, uh, start not only looking at this when a product is built, because it's uh, often quite late, uh, so, so yes, definitely we need more because it forces us to, to break the problem and to, to specialize on the real niche that needs to be tackled.
0: Thank you for that. Natalia, in your recent paper, you mentioned three explainability terms, data explainability, model explainability, and post hoc explainability. How are these terms similar and different? Yeah so
1: there are many levels of course of uh, in the same way that there are many ways of providing transparency as one principle you have communication explainability traceability if we take explainability we can further also break down into different uh, notions of explainability so if we talk about data explainability it's gonna all revert back to our design phases uh, and see it should provide us some kind of reasoning about if our data was diverse enough. If it's biased, it's going to show if there are some lack of representation of some class, if it can lead to some bias and discrimination. And if we have uh, model explainability, we are going to, to have some notion uh, regarding the decision process that the, the network or the model or the neural network can be any model. Uh, It's it's coming up to that decision in terms of some decision steps, perhaps, from the input to the output. And if in the third case, if we have post hoc explainability, which are indeed most of the techniques nowadays, they just take a model, it's already trained with whatever data it was provided at that moment of training. um, And we take an input, an output, and try to explain or a given sample normally how this output was reached and um, and this is sometimes not even having access to the internals of the model that's why it's more let's say post-hoc. it should not affect during training and um, it also leaves us of course less freedom to kind of revert the model sometimes although it could be as well done so yeah th- this is a bit kind of the different Points of view of looking at the explainability, let's say.
0: Thank you. Um, Natalia, there's a a lot, you know, I understand there's a lot of work around explainability um, and AI just in general. And I'm curious because you are in this field and you've read a lot of research papers and you know a lot of people that what are you most excited about right now in this field? Sure. There is
1: really a lot of things going on. There is hard to, to keep up. It's a bit uh, stressing even for for uh, doing re- researchers, users. But um, right now, I think there are cool um, ideas, a lot of exciting areas to explore. Even though there is really an avalanche of explainable AI papers, there's still plenty to do. There is still many audiences to satisfy when they demand an explanation. When we have high-risk AI systems that We want to comply with the new AI Act, both the European and the US. It's one of the regulations that are coming. And I feel like it's very difficult sometimes to to materialize these principles that are very easy to to understand and very much common sense and map into concrete protocols, methods, pipelines, measurable practices. It demands change management departments, new whole teams uh, in order to assess all this auditing that is going to be required. So I want to work on developing methods that will help us audit this system so that we can build trust and we can see them more as helpful tools and not just as evil (laughs) stealers of our human rights because we, we just need to be much more careful and educated about them so some ideas i would say that um, i'm excited about it will be for instance building uh, some ais that could explain what fails when humans communicate for instance just human to human we also have trouble communicating so imagine human and machine communication in, with uh, generative models like chat gpt so so it's kind of um, when we speak different vocabularies, idioms, domain-specific languages, those can make communicating a task to be achieved uh, quite difficult. So wouldn't it be nice actually if the AI could tell what the other agent is trying to to get, or what is actually understanding when you ask him something, or what is what is the information the other agent is actually lacking in order to help you? So, for instance, bureaucracy will be really cool. It will be a hassle that it will die, right? So I would love to have those kind of systems because I spend hours every day doing some kind of bureaucratic thing and, and, and still not no single lack of AI. And it still it's so hard to, to get your things done. So other area that I could encourage um, students or or people not knowing what project to to get on could be uh, machine learning. Um, my colleagues at the uh, University of Modena in Italy are, are working on this, among other people. Uh, it's a promising application of, or let's say, correcting, for instance, biases of models, or the right to forget, or perhaps just fixing or adapting to, to new knowledge. In this same line, also, um, we could say that learning continually in these ever evolving systems correcting um, being able to detect when the system varies and becomes uh, obsolete or incorrect so we need we are going to do a lot of bookkeeping uh, on these models um, yeah so i i think this is uh, a lot of exciting things and of course also all Everything that has to do with multimodal system, I think so far we have been very, let's say, kind of numb or like, let's say, using only vision, or only, only language. And at the end, we communicate with the, we are multimodal, multi-view. We have a different sense. So AI should also work with all these data modalities and explanations should align. And this is very often not the case. And I think there is a lot of work to do there. So I think this is quite exciting area to to work. Um, Yeah, I think this is all, but you can read the future work sections of my last papers if you want more ideas.
0: Thinking about the, the regulation side of things and understanding that the US, for instance, and the EU have different regulations in the works here. Because the show is focused on health professionals, how do you believe the new AI regulations in Europe, for instance, are going to impact health professionals?
1: It's a good question. So today I was reading, reading a paper that it, it, it really emphasized that, uh, those, um, aspects. So in one way, governments want to, to have AI regulated so that it can build trust and it can help automate processes we can develop economies right and, and this is this is of course good but on the other hand uh private corporations companies prefer to be much more careful and they're investing a lot of uh, efforts in preparing teams in having a lot of auditing validation verification all the ai life cycle requires many many more checks so of course comply with all this regulation could be seen as a stifling uh, innovation or having it more demanding and difficult so my fear and i guess it's not only my fear is that uh, it can stop down a bit innovation but that's why we need to have very seamless processes and at the same time as we need to avoid the risk so in terms of high-risk AI system, which is, let's say, let's simplify and put the focus there. Mm, domain experts, of course, have all the right to be worried and to be questioning this, the deployment of these systems, such as in the medical field. So I'm just submitting an application on uh, explainable AI on life sciences. And it's really necessary to for these fields where there are drug discovery, there are can be health records and patients lives in at stake vulnerability it's really key and sometimes even explainability is hackable or like fair washing like fairness can be let's say washable or <laughs> hackable so we one um let's say one one technique is not enough one principle is not enough at the end we need to make trustworthy ai but i guess regulation we'll need to to lead the way even though it always goes behind technology but i guess we need to work hand in hand as well as with ethics and ethics board so i guess that that's the only way i'm working with the domain expert it's the only way so that they can trust us and educating us um mutually in order to build systems much more closer and much more together than we used to do
0: yeah no definitely and i'm really glad that you mentioned ethics as part of all of this too that's a whole separate podcast uh talking about ethics and ai um but I- i'm also curious too, like just sticking a little bit with uh the the new regulations that at your university because of these new regulations is it hard for you to carry out your research specifically from a technical standpoint if training and testing large language models
1: well when- of course, this uh, this technology requires so much uh, compute that indeed uh, not everybody can train from scratch. So sometimes it's a bit it's a bit hard to it's out of question. Let's say let's develop a new language model. But luckily, the, the open source communities is is showing that it's winning and it's. Um, it's i uh, let's say these are being democratized but still there's still some risk that all these models the the powerful ones stay of course uh under paywall which is also understandable but yeah that this is a bit uh, worrying me and it's not so easy for um, fundamental research to to compete or to be able to to cope with this fast advancement but we will have we will still have to go to basics there's still plenty of improvements we can do. The explainability is still not solved. Black models will still be black. We need to still work on many different aspects to to simplify them, to compress models. There are many things we can do. Yes, (laughs) it's difficult, but um, there's plenty of interesting work to do. Still, it, it won't uh, stop us.
0: Uh,
1: yeah, there are still needs for computer scientists. AI will, will not do our job for sure.
0: Well, that's good for, especially for all the students that are currently working on degrees in computer science and related fields, that there are you know that going to still be jobs for them and, and work for them to do. Because we asked this question uh, of every guest, that our closing question, to see if you had any ideas to offer students for a research project. Uh, is there something that you'd love to see students work on? Any ideas you have? Yeah. So
1: let's say, I think in terms of explainability and healthcare, I think ever changing system or systems that learn continually, uh, it's still a challenge. I mean, it's like a orthogonal problem, but, but it's still very hard to, to control, like what needs to be selectively forgetting and or relearn or refresh sometimes catastrophic forgetting is to be avoided other forgetting is necessary to cope with the advancements and new knowledge on the other hand yeah i think before i also mentioned uh multimodality of uh, let's say models that can fuse um, different modalities of data um, and on the other hand we also need to compress this, this knowledge because this can cannot be feasible in terms of energy so green ai (laughs) being more efficient and um, because the carbon emissions are important and sometimes this is ignored and of course climate change ai for climate change i think is still very very important because that also reverts in our health (laughs) and um, of course the standards contributing to develop standards could be also very interesting in terms of developing new techniques that could become the standard. So I think there is interest on, on developing
0: um,
1: very, let's say, useful, use, useful tools that can help us audit the systems from in, at the different stages. So from the from the design until the retirement of the in the AI cycle. So so yeah, and then explaining, let's say, interactive processes where sometimes we might not even know what the, in a prompt, you know, a prompt engineer is trying to to tell us. Like, it might be even hard to to translate what's the mental model he's trying to convey. So when we have explainability that goes beyond the model and in different stages, different processes, different administration, stakeholders, how do we make sense of all, all this? Uh, where where The system breaks and where it doesn't so let's say just go on on the on giants shoulders and and look at sustainability from different heights would be would be good also thank you for that
0: so one last thing we like to do on the podcast is offer our guests an opportunity to give a shout out to the university any colleagues that you want to give a shout out to or share any news papers that you're working on is there anything that you'd like to share natalia
1: Sure, I want to give a shout out to my department of computer science and AI. It's always doing great job with the very ambitious projects from all ranges of uh, many, including trustworthy AI and explainability, indeed. And um, PhD students uh, at Dusty and the, or the or Andalusian Data Science Institute and uh, our faculty computer engineering. Uh, I must say that Granada is uh, one of the universities that receives and uh, sends the most exchange students, so you are most welcome to to join and visit. And I also take the advantage to invite you to three congresses. Like We are on a roll (laughs) this fall. Actually, this week, if you happen to be nearby, there is the event, uh, a conference of all talking about AI, 16th, 17th November in Granada, They are all uh, free attendance, the three conferences. The second is Andalusia International AI Conference, 22nd, 23rd of November, in Granada as well. We have government and um, also public representatives. And the third one is the one I organize, it's called Andalus.ea event for researchers. Basically, it's made by Andalusians and it showcases the work of Andalusian researchers abroad or people that work in andalusia uh, all of them are free attendance, and i invite you to join if you can this one the last one is 21st of uh, december so you have a bit more time to to join so you are welcome to join and to visit and thanks a lot for for inviting me and giving the opportunity and i hope to to be in touch and learn more about your lab
0: Natalia, it's been a very much a pleasure to be able to speak with you today, and we really appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks, to you. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for tuning in and for following the show. The Health Unexplainable AI podcast is produced by the University of Pittsburgh's Health Unexplainable AI Research Laboratory at University of Pittsburgh's School of Health and Rehabilitation Sciences Department of Health Information Management. I'm Jordan Gosporé. Thanks for listening.